This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to offer diagnosis or treatment for any medical or psychological conditions. All treatment decisions should be made in partnership with your health professional. This is Advice from Mom. Imagine this workplace scenario. Your job is quite unusual in that you spend the entire year preparing for one glamorous night. You've been dreaming about it since you were a kid. Accuracy is your middle name. You double and then triple check everything. That's how you got to where you are. And here it is. The end of the night. Well, almost. You just handed over the last of the 24 red envelopes. All you want to hear now is that closing applause. But what you hear instead is Warren Beatty stumble on his last few words. And then Faye Dunaway jumps in and says, La La Land. You can't control everything that happens at work. You can't control your boss's requests at 4.59 on a Friday. You can't control the proximity of the office bathroom to your coworkers' ears. You can't control who left out the pink box on the conference table but ate the last donut. Just like you can't always control which envelope gets read at the Oscars. Today, we provide advice for workplace woes. It's easy to get wrapped up and chase things and stay in situations, whether it's a job you don't like, whether it's an environment that's toxic and you're not your best self and you're not happy. Uh, don't be afraid to kind of make some bold moves because everything works out in the end. Our biggest challenge is to keep our morale up. It's not about the company, it's about who's gonna value you. I don't think your problem is that you have failed, it's that you haven't failed enough. If you're still feeling like they're not giving you what you deserve in terms of compensation or respect, walk away and find a place that will. And you feel an itch to express yourself in some way that feels uniquely you, then you've got to do it or else you will remain so itchy that you will eventually resent that amazing job where you feel appreciated. I'll be your host, Rebecca, and I'd like you to meet my mom. So I have a story about when I was a teenager in Milwaukee, my hometown, in the 1950s. Here's my little vignette. In my teen years, I had a bunch of different jobs. I worked in a fish store. And on Fridays, Catholics weren't allowed to eat meat, so we were very, very busy. And at the end of the day, we all got to take home a fish fry, which was the best part of that job. And another job I had was in a sausage shop. Basically, we sold a lot of kielbasa. That's uh, Polish for great Polish sausage. Delicious. And I always came home with garlic-smelling hands from handling all that sausage. My favorite job experience from that period of my life, I was a waitress at Rich's Tip Top Restaurant, a very, very popular place. I was a good waitress, and I guess what happened at one point was a kind of promotion. They asked me to work weddings. And of course, in Milwaukee, Polish Milwaukee especially, there is a lot of drinking. This was a wedding that had already gotten pretty rowdy, and there I was carrying around a tray filled with drinks, trying to balance it, and suddenly somebody knocked my arm, and I spilled a, maybe it was even a Manhattan, all over this gentleman, and I was mortified, as you might guess. He laughed, as did everybody at his table, and he said, don't worry about it. And he grabbed his napkin and he said, just clean it up for me. Like clean up his lap? Yeah, of course I did not. The very next day, 
I decided that's enough with waitressing. I am going to college. There was not much emphasis on college for girls at that time, at least in my subculture. Spilling that drink was a big shift in my life. So then, Mama, if we fast forward, you get your PhD, you become a psychologist. What has it been now, 30 years? Uh, I've been licensed since 1980. 35 years of psychological healing by Mama B. (laughs) And it all started with one spilled Manhattan. You could say it that way. You could, I guess, when I think about it. You know, our lives are filled with these turning points, I suppose. And so we have several stories today, several questions from listeners that involve uh, different forms of spilled Manhattans, would you say? (laughs) Sometimes you're the Manhattan, sometimes you're the lap. Um, Well, that certainly is stretching the metaphor a great deal, but I I guess we're allowed to do it that way. That is my daughterly right to take your stories and stretch them into metaphors. (laughs) A lot of traumatic things happen to us at work. We don't really treat it with the emotional severity that we do other things in our lives. And of course, career traumas don't just end once you walk out the office door. So today... We're going to be talking about workplace woes and giving you some ideas about coping. We think this coping is really important. I know here in San Francisco, there's been a focus recently on toxic work environments, especially because of a blog post put out by a former Uber engineer, Susan Fowler. Her story centers around extreme HR violations made by the HR department. Today's episode actually starts out with a listener question that is not too dissimilar from Susan's story. So Susan, if you're listening, from a fellow female tech worker, thank you for sharing your story. We hope this advice helps not only the listener who sent in the question, but also you and other folks who have been through similar struggles. Here's the question. I'm a female creative professional working in the tech industry for the past eight years. A few years ago, I left a terrible work situation at a, quote, hot tech startup. Employees were pitted against each other and rewarded for gutting peers' projects. Sexual harassment was shrugged off on the daily. And shipping projects depended on currying favor with the higher-up boys' club rather than work, data, and merit. I've had the good fortune of having plenty of good experiences and projects since I left, But I find my first instinct with people is to assume that they are trying to trick me or prove that I'm not competent. I'm trying to be less suspicious, but there's part of me that hangs on to this idea that I was supposed to, quote, learn something from all this bad juju. What can I do to accept and validate my own experience without condemning all of humanity to a giant garbage heap? Signed, Workplace Warrior. So Workplace Warrior has experienced a toxic work environment. Even though now she's at a great new job, she hasn't fully recovered from her past job. So here's some advice from my mom. You know, Workplace Warrior, thank you so much for your question. And I think it's awful that this scenario has become so common in the workplace. Uh, It's very disruptive and dehumanizing, I think. Sometimes when we've had a lot of success, failure really throws us into a kind of emotional crisis. And you went through a big career crisis, and now you're trying to heal from it. After any kind of crisis, it's sometimes hard to think straight, problem solve, or even focus. So what you are experiencing is completely normal. Within you, you have what I think of as a kind of danger finder. And that danger finder is looking for some potential threats. Your danger finder, I think, is hypersensitive in order to truly protect you. That's maybe not necessarily a bad thing. The downside, of course, is that you are uh, walking around anxious and fearful at work. And that's no fun at all. Obviously. So the things I'm suggesting fall into two different categories. Things you can do at your job and go slowly with it. 
And the second group of suggestions is things that you can do outside of work. First, I'm suggesting you become a good observer. Try to notice who you feel most secure and comfortable with. Is it the serious kind of person, more the fun-loving kind of person? Maybe learn how to do what they call active listening. It's a practice in which a person reflects back what is being said. If you keep a journal on your observations, on your experiences, what happens when you try to do this active listening, you will have an even richer experience. So healing takes a lot of time, and I invite you to be patient with the progress because it can be very slow. Uh, So definitely cultivate more downtime. Uh, Downtime is when we start to do the healing. Find what you really enjoy. If there's something in your life that you really enjoy, make sure that you cultivate it. This one I love, and I love to implement. Watch and listen to comedians. (laughs) If you can reassure yourself that the old terrible job was simply not a good place for you. Some of these things are going to help you heal a little quicker. Before you tune into that podcast with a real laugh track, let's play some mother-daughter pickleball. So, Mama, I really love your feedback. I love how you've divided it into these two categories of what she can do at work and what she can do outside of work. I think that's really an important differentiation to make because it sounds like the things that happened at work are affecting her whole life. Work doesn't just stay at work anymore. Yeah. And the way that I have always thought about that is that our biggest challenge is to keep our morale up. But how does she know when something really is a trigger from a negative experience that she's had? I believe that we all have an inner voice. Um, Sometimes people couch it in religious terms. It doesn't matter how you think of it, but that inner voice is there with you all the time. And when your inner voice is giving you almost like a no, I don't like this, that's a really important piece of information. I think people are taught not to listen to that inner voice. And yet that inner voice is so smart and so helpful. And it can definitely help her to uh, note which are the triggers in the workplace. And she may have triggers at home too, you know, outside of work. One of my clients once said to me, does everybody have an inner voice? And I said, yes, I believe everyone has an inner voice. But it was such an adorable question because she had definitely learned how to use her inner voice to guide her. Well, but don't you think it's also her inner voice that is, her first instinct is to assume that people are trying to trick her or prove that she's not competent. Isn't that kind of the devilish side of her inner voice saying that? Good question. And yes, it's the devilish side. The important piece there, I believe, is that I think she's blaming herself. The negative feedback that we give to ourselves, like it must be my fault or I messed up on that last job and that's why it didn't go well. So it's basically the negative feedback we're giving to ourselves, I think, that does the additional damage. And and then I guess that also gets to her question of, was she supposed to learn something from all this bad juju? Yes, she's supposed to learn that it is her job to fortify herself. It is her job to pick a good place for herself. It is her job to pick a place where they appreciate her and appreciate her skills. Absolutely. Beautifully said. I think you know from whence you speak. I've definitely gone through several career crises and always grown from that and also learned that there's there's a reason. There's a reason why people are going to ask so many questions about the company culture when they come into a job interview. Mm -hmm. But I think it is important to know when you are taking on stress in your work life Mm -hmm. that you would never even imagine taking on in your personal life. Like, would you allow someone you care about to treat you this way? And yes, your boss does pay you. Your company does pay you to be there every day. And if they stop paying you, you would stop showing up. But as far as just general respect, we almost tolerate a lot 
lower standards of respect in the workplace than we do we would ever tolerate in our personal lives. It's really hard to put your finger on, and uh, it's very damaging, I think. Mm-hmm. Which is why I love your idea of the danger finder. <laughs> when your danger finder says, eh, 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 potential threats, potential <laughs> threats. Leave it to you to add a really cute noise to my danger finder. Workplace danger finder. Are you a Martian? <laughs> no, I'm a robot. I detect danger at its highest level. <laughs> at the executive level. Right. I think it's fine that Workplace Warrior be on high alert for a while. Yes. That's what she's learned to do. And that's that's a fine thing to stick with until she feels this area has proven to have no bombs, no emotional bombs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then she can relax. Right. For your second opinion, Workplace Warrior, I wanted to read your question to two fellow wise women who have been in similar situations and hear what they have to say. I like the giant garbage heap. <laughs> that's all. Is this my former coworker? Yeah, I'm like, do we work yeah. with you? <laughs> Meet like... Sadia and Jules. My name is Sadia Harper. I've been working in tech for, I guess, around like 10 years, maybe a little over 10 years at this point. Um, started at YouTube, working there, doing like editorial and designing marketing programs. And then I left to go to grad school to study experience design. And then I start working at Intel, and now I work at a small startup called Collective Health. I've definitely been in tech where there are some <laughs> huge garbage, heaping piles of garbage. I just love that. And I'm Julie Morablanco. I have been in tech for the same amount of time, about 10 years. Started in 2006 at YouTube. I was at Twitter for four and a half, and uh, the last couple of years I've been doing consulting, and I'm about to become the head of uh, community safety for Adobe. Uh, on Monday, starting my new job. So, new job! Woo! and my line of work for the last 10 years has been trust and safety, which is sometimes a little known department, but affects everyone's world of helping people who are dealing with harassment and abuse online, including suicide, violent threats, terrorism, really lighthearted That's things. Yeah. So, um, the first things I was thinking about when I heard the question were that no, come on, you know, give this other place a chance. This is baggage from another company and you got to enjoy yourself in this new position. But I do also think that you really need to keep one eye on everything else. There is trouble that follows you no matter what, because you're a woman. Look for the things that make you happy in that job. Celebrate those things. Learn where to put your trust. And then also just be wary of what doesn't seem right to you because there's always going to be something that's going to bring you down. It might be the person that looks just like you sitting across from you. Um, so uh, workplace warrior, I'm going to call you woo-woo. Like in a couple of jobs, I feel like I left with a little bit of like PTSD from the work- <laughs> workplace PTSD. I just remember like how much it like hit self-doubt where you're really questioning the quality of your work. You're even questioning the industry. You're questioning like, do you know how to work in a workplace? Because I think so many places thrive on those politics and they thrive on exactly the things you talked about for me like overcoming that was one you know therapy and I was like okay I can't make this mistake again I have to be very particular about my next place it was really clear like I asked questions about the culture I asked questions about how decisions were made I really wanted to get a feel like is it a cutthroat environment is it all about like the best idea or who's in this club or is it really a place where people are heard where diversity of opinions is accepted and considered a good thing, and that's what I aim for in my next company. And if my current company turns out not to be like that at some point, like I will leave because I know where I thrive. I mean, I think I spent a lot of time with self-blame, doubting my ability, and then also when other people were in a bad place and they were reacting, I would automatically look at that and say, what did I do wrong? And that was a big downfall for me for a long time. And it was because nobody put that confidence in me that I was ever doing a good job from the beginning. I always had this thing when I was working at Intel where people would be assholes to me. I would just like shrug it off at points and I would say, they're just a scared little boy. Part of the truth is sometimes you will be in environments where someone is going to be like a little sexist or be a little boys club. You can't leave every job because it's not the ideal environment. But also go in thinking that, you know, everyone wants you to succeed and really go in that with a great mindset of like you being great, them wanting to support you and you supporting your coworkers as well. But after all that, if you're still feeling like, they're not giving you what you deserve in terms of compensation or respect. It's like, then understand that, be okay with that, and then walk away and find a place that will. Just in my interview experience with Adobe, 
I can already feel the value they have for me. If you go into an interview and you have a feeling like, I, maybe I'll get there or or possibly, or you're not getting those answers. If you're not getting those answers to your liking, don't take it because you feel like you just have to take something. You are greater than that. And there are always jobs out there for you. Whether, whether you feel that or not, it's not about the company. It's about who's going to value you. And it can be small. It can be large. It's just about making sure you're happy. You got this, woo-woo. Stay woo. strong. Woo-woo! <laughs> Warrior! We are the warriors. We're playing the warriors. Actually, do that. Get Find your anthem. Play that song. Anytime someone pisses you off, you play your anthem. Strut. Like, sometimes it might be Prince. Sometimes it might be Beyonce. Sometimes it might be The Kills. Like, you just gotta fucking get that shit. I'm doing a little dance right now. You can't see. All right, workplace warrior. Go out there and be that Wonder Woman. Here's the question. Through most of my life, I've enjoyed career success, receiving positive evaluations, taking constructive criticism, and working to make improvements where needed, all while earning the respect of my managers, employees, and peers. Then last year I was laid off, and I found myself unemployed for the first time in my career of over 20 years. It was rough, but I tried to embrace it as just the kick in the pants that I needed to make a change and grow in my career. My job search took longer than expected, and I encountered a few bumps along the way, but eventually I found a new job that I loved and things were looking up. But my good fortune didn't last long. I was soon struggling to prove myself in my new role, which was admittedly a stretch that I was underprepared for. After several months of giving it my all, yet still failing to turn things around in the eyes of my boss, we agreed that things weren't working out and parted ways. I'm proud of how I handled this difficult situation and the effort I put into addressing it, but in the end I still failed. Now I'm unemployed for the second time in a year and my confidence is shot. How can I project the necessary confidence for a successful job search when my track record is tarnished and I'm filled with self-doubt. Signed, Failing at 40. How can Failing at 40 regain confidence after two job losses in one year? Here's some advice from my mom. Hello, Failing at 40. Uh, your question is a good one. You're reaching out for help and that's a really good sign. This is a time when you will be needing a lot of support, especially in the months to come, I believe. Uh, please ask yourself the following questions. Did I take that job even though I thought it was above my skill level? And I'm wondering if you had an inkling that it was uh, not a good job for you, even maybe before you took it, uh, which you wouldn't be the first person to have done that if, if that's what happened. Uh, did your inner voice possibly warn you ahead of time that it wasn't a good fit for you? So the next thing I'd like to do is list a couple of steps that you can take in your efforts to get your career back on track. The first choice, learn as much as you can from the past job experiences. And I'm including all your jobs. Consider making a list what I learned about the company, the boss, and the co-workers. And the second list that you'll make on each one of your jobs that you've ever had is what I learned about myself. By analyzing each job, you'll be learning more about yourself and about where you get stuck. Um, you have a lot of job experience, and that's really valuable to help you learn a little bit more about what's going on here. And when we learn from our past experiences, I think we become more open to change. I used to be very fond of reading my entries into my own diary from years past. And I would always be astonished at what I had written. I had to admit that it was my writing and I must have really thought and felt the way I described, but I was in such a different place when I read it a second time or a third time. Uh, so anyway, the second choice that I'd like you to consider is to take a break from your chosen career. This is sometimes a temporary shift 
but can be an entry into a whole new career path. Can you take some time off from your chosen career and work at something else for a while? I think this would give you time to heal. You've had almost traumatic experiences because this same thing happened twice. I know one woman who, she had a high-level career in corporate America, and she decided to take a job in a, a lingerie store. She learned a tremendous amount about herself and her skills just by having that different setting. She kind of enjoyed it after a while, and they loved her. So then next, a word about uh, the choice number three and number four. Number three on my list is get a career counselor. Number four is find a good therapist. Mostly, I think that people in your situation want to stay in their comfort zone. So they talk to family or friends. Going to them to talk about your situation is not, I believe, going to give you the right perspective to help you through this. Much more important is for you to consider the professional help. And I'm going back to your question one more time. You said, last year when I was laid off, it was rough, but I tried to embrace it as just the kick in the pants that I needed to make a change and grow in my career. So my question is, were you thinking it's all my fault? If you are blaming yourself, that's a huge burden for you to be carrying around in addition to all the other concerns you have right now. So the danger for somebody like you is that all these losses and disappointments could plunge you into a depression. And that's what I'm concerned about for you. So how to get unstuck after your life has been disrupted is always, always a challenge. But my preferred method is almost always to get professional help. And I have to admit that that is the way I lean always, uh, probably because of what work I do in life. And failing at 40, it may not get better unless you do find some ongoing professional support. Before you go get that job at the lingerie store, let's play a little mother-daughter pickleball, shall we? So mom, I'm a little worried that your suggestions two through four would be really difficult if money is tight. Right, absolutely. The money issue has always got to be a concern. Because if failing at 40 is feeling like money is tight, then this is almost a question of survival. It's, it's bigger than just a job. Well taken. Well taken. So then the second idea that I would like to put out there is that there are a fair number of agencies that do sliding scale or they do a reduced fee. My brother Jerry, and this is years ago, after he lost his job, he got into a self-help group. What do you think about the idea of going to your old co-workers? I mean, once the dust is settled about the job loss, um, but reconnecting with your old coworkers and getting their perspective on the situation. Do you think that would be helpful to growing beyond this or no? I don't know that everyone feels real comfortable doing that. A couple of people come to my mind who would not in a thousand years go back and talk to their coworkers. But um, yeah, I think if that's a comfortable option for you, that can any source of new information, new perspective, new way of thinking about what happened is very important. I think depending on how big your industry is, that can also be just a very powerful interaction to have because you might work with these people in the future. Mm -hmm. The last thing I wanted to emphasize, you, you kind of talked about this a little bit, this idea of confidence or lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. I think people can really, um, smell isn't the right sense, but I think people can smell desperation. They can smell lack of confidence. Absolutely. It scares people off. Uh, right before I met your dad, I was really feeling down, like, oh, this is, I, I'll never meet anybody. I had a girlfriend who was in the same training program as I. She was about 58 at the time, and she said, oh, I just got out of a really interesting relationship. So she told me all about it. It was with a younger guy. She loved it. And then at the end, she said, I don't know where and I don't know when, but I know I'm going to meet somebody else. 
who I'm going to have a wonderful relationship with again, probably fairly soon, she said. And that really turned me around. I was like, okay, this is a good perspective for me. And I, I think I really changed my head around. So should we, uh, should we rephrase that for failing at 40? Should we? So it would be, I don't know when and I don't know where, but I know that I'm going to have an amazing <laughs> job, probably in the near future. What a wonderful mantra. That's really sweet of you and creative. Guess who our second opinion is? You're still recording, right? Yes, I'm still recording. Trey. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, I love it. You want to tell everybody who Trey is? Well, Trey is a healer. A tremendous naturopath, as I call them. But uh, he is just the most wonderful and warm and kind and sweet guy you've ever met. Any I've never met. My mom hates him, if you didn't get that hint. <laughs> so I met Trey. I had a session with Trey. And I came out of there feeling like I was high. <laughs> because I felt so uplifted. And I was just amazed. There you go. My mom came to San Francisco and I got her high. <laughs> there you go. Hi, my name is Robert Laughlin, but I go by Trey. I have a acupuncture and integrative medicine practice in San Francisco, and I am also a life coach. So, failing at 40, um, I got to tell you, I don't think your problem is that you have failed. It's that you haven't failed enough. When I hear people's history like yours and they've had so much success and only recently have they had some failure, I think, well, if you haven't failed that much, you haven't stretched yourself enough. So I want to say congratulations on failing more. Recently, you've stretched and you can stretch even further. I think it's important to realize that failing is an important part of life. I don't think anybody who has been a great success has not also been a great failure. I think about Edison and the light bulb, and we think of him as a success, but how many different little wires did he try that he was a failure at before he became a success? So my advice to you is to not think of failure as failure, to think of it as a stretch, as a growth experience, and to not be afraid to have more failures, not less, but more. And that when you go to your next employer, Hold those failures high. Say, hey, guess what I tried? <laughs> I hope that helps, and I hope you fail a lot and succeed a lot and everything in between. So there it is, the famous tray. You can see why my mom is all gaga about him. And also, I looked it up. Uh, it's totally true about smelling desperation. It's, it's all about pheromones. If you want to go down a rabbit hole of gray zone science, I recommend Googling female tears and pheromones. That could be a song. I gotta go write that down. Here's the question. I'm very fortunate to work at a job where I feel accepted by my coworkers and appreciated by my company. I can be myself working nine to five. Actually more like 10 to seven, but don't tell Dolly Parton. Like Dolly, I feel comfortable bringing my whole self to work. So that's not the heft of my question. Rather, my question is this. When it comes to professional pursuits outside the office, writing blog posts, speaking at conferences, tweeting the tweets, and giving the occasional interview, how do I balance the good sense to remain professional with the opportunity to be personable? I admire Ellen DeGeneres' ability to be humorous, respected, likable, and remain entertaining, despite the status quo of comedians to make crass, offensive, or inflammatory jokes. Nevertheless, Ellen is squarely in the business of comedy, and I, in addition to never having won a Presidential Medal of Freedom, work in a more conservative profession where, unfortunately, decorum and LinkedIn still matter. In an age where the internet immortalizes every public display, how do we get more comfortable bringing our personalities into our career? Am I going to end up helpless and homeless if my creative expressions miss the mark? This is literally a question I have asked my therapist multiple times. He won't answer anymore, so now I'm asking you. Sincerely, Profesh versus Pizzazz. So how do you bring your personality to work while maintaining professionalness? Here's some advice from my mom. 
Really? Come on, you're gonna make me answer that question? Wait, you don't, you don't have an answer? No, I definitely don't. I don't, I don't know what to say about that one. Come on. This isn't your realm? I've, I've found a question that is outside of Mama Bee's realm? Oh, now don't you start with that sarcasm. Well, I'm just saying, like, you know, every question I... You were very nervous at first that you wouldn't have answers. And every other question I've flung at you... You've given a great answer. You're going to you're going to punt on this one? I hope you're not disappointed with me, but How could I ever be disappointed? Oh my golly. I didn't bring my shovel. <laughs> okay, how about this? I'll go and get some advice from a different mom. So it's still advice for mom, but then we'll come <laughs> back. We can still play some mother-daughter pickleball. And you can give me a hard time this time. Come on, I never do that. <laughs> you know I don't. I let you initiate and then I just shoot you down or something, right? No, I never do that. Ah, yes. I never did it in your whole life, girl. I always tried to be sweet and gentle. Okay, let's try this again. And now, here's some advice from a very smart mom. Hi, everyone. My name is Kelly Dragovich. Uh, I head up uh, HR at Hired as a senior vice president of people operations. Uh, I'm a mom, also a mom of twin boys who are six years old. Us and my wife, Julie, live in Redwood City, California. If everyone in your company was watching you or reading what you were writing, whether it's a tweet or an interview or a blog post, do you think that it would be tasteful and do you think it would fit within the culture and the personality of your company. And so when I think of that, I think of first and foremost being able to bring your personal experiences to work, uh, being able to connect who you are and your life with what you're doing and who you're working with. And again, that's true whether I'm at a conference and speaking on a panel or whether I'm at work doing a meeting with the whole company and speaking to them. Uh, I do think that no matter what career you're in or what industry, authenticity and transparency and like connecting the whole human is a trend and something that I'm seeing a lot more companies understand and accept, uh, especially with the newer generations, uh, millennials, et cetera. That connection to a company and the people within it and the mission is becoming much more important than the usual suspect of criteria like compensation and kind of benefits and those kind of more um, hardcore pieces. Uh, we see you know, folks that are actually taking pay cuts where they feel more of an affiliation to the mission and to the culture of the company. And so you'll see a lot of companies Google and look at these things to understand what someone's point of view is. My advice there is, you know, without being inauthentic, I think, again, being mindful and tasteful around how positions you might hold or comments you may make might be polarizing. But I will say uh, just the position that I am, you know, heading up HR at a fast-paced startup, uh, it's 100% that you can pretty much guarantee that someone will look outside, again, of, of the interview process and the notes to try to get a sense of who you are and what you value and what's important to you outside of work. So I would say one piece of advice that I received that stuck with me that actually probably sounds like a cliche or sounds trite until you actually realize it's true um, is this life is too short notion. It's easy to get wrapped up and chase things and stay in situations, whether it's a job you don't like, whether it's an environment that's toxic and you're not your best self and you're not happy. Uh, don't be afraid to kind of make some bold moves because everything works out in the end. Advice from a well-informed mom. We now return you to your regularly scheduled mother-daughter pickleball match. Whenever I have a meeting with someone, I try to have like a joyous moment. I'll say, if we have like a fun topic, I'll say, let's make that the dessert of the meeting. Something that allows it to kind of be an incentive for getting the mm. work done. You're very good at that. I mean, I love that too. It, it makes work more fun. You know, like how could you be swapped out for anyone else, whether it be your skill set or your personality? I think there are many jobs where there's a huge value in bringing your personality to work. Once a uh, long time ago, I was a little concerned because you always were so upbeat. I then read a book called Exuberance, and that's, I just went, she is exuberant. I'm in danger of being too exuberant. That's something else, I guess. That's that's kind of where you know the limit of just like, 
if you see your sunshine is giving everyone a sunburn, then <laughs> scale it back. Good one. Points for you. <laughs> I guess this question, profesh versus pizzazz. Thanks for the tongue twister, by the way. I try to always make sure that my humor doesn't get in the way of my message. Can you tell a joke that isn't at the expense of your work? For me, if I'm presenting designs and then I make a joke at the expense of my own confidence or my own designs, that's a detrimental joke. But if I can make a joke with someone that actually makes it easier for them to give feedback or easier for them to talk to me or easier for them to remember me, then that's a joke in the right direction. When you feel emotionally comfortable or safe, your real self can just come out. And I mean, we can just tell from your question that you're hilarious. Yeah, yeah. and then and uh, how, how you sometimes say, I'm not going to overthink this one. I use that phrase all the time. As my daughter Rebecca says, I'm not going to overthink this one. Be who you are, and people will probably love you just for whatever you're offering to them in your in your warm style. Even if your warm style is like, I'm not going to overthink this one. And your mom makes fun of you all day <laughs> in the podcast that you made to show her how much you love her. Uh, um, I just, I, I... Before this dissolves into pickleball mayhem, let's get a second opinion. Hi there. My name is Tim Fetterly. Uh, I'm an author and a former Broadway dancer. And uh, I'm going to answer this question in part because when I made the transition to becoming a full-time writer, it was from this adjacent industry. Uh, I had worked professionally in musical theater from the time I was uh, a kid, actually. Then I moved to New York City. I became a dancer. And along the way, uh, at a certain point, I realized I wanted to use my voice for more than just playing parts. And so, in other words, like I wanted to be not more than an actor, but I wanted to say more than an actor can say when you are reading somebody else's lines. My way of dipping my toe and blurring the lines between being uh, one thing and wanting to be known for another thing or having my words known for something or having my say is that I started posting like funny Facebook messages that were appropriate, like I never used swear words, but nonetheless, uh, I guess showcased my personality. And I did this for long enough and then started doing it on Twitter that when I sold my first book, which was a book for children, actually, it's not that people didn't blink, but people said, yeah, of course you wrote a book. You're a guy who's every day trying to post something funny online. So um, I'm going to say a couple things. The, the first is you, I'm going to quote you, you're very fortunate to work at a job where you feel accepted by your coworkers and appreciated by your company. So first off, that's like a coup. That is something that I'm going to recommend unless you are independently wealthy and just working for fun, <laughs> in which case you're an alien. You're a fake person. You should really honor that and think about that uh, in every place you go in life because you've got this thing that is quite hallowed that a lot of us would love, which is to feel appreciated. But I'm gonna say something else. I feel as if your letter, beautifully written, is broken down really into two questions, which are, how do I balance the good sense to remain professional with the opportunity to be personable, and am I gonna end up homeless and helpless if my creative expressions miss their mark? Great questions. Those are the two that I think this boils down to. Uh, I'm going to quote my mom, actually, given this podcast's theme. My mom used to say, the only parents who show up to the PTA meetings are the uh, parents who don't actually need to be there. That just by showing up, you are demonstrating how much you care about your kids, you care about involvement, and that you've got the sense to say, I should be involved. The fact that you're even asking these questions, how do I stay sensible, tells me you probably already have that built-in mechanism. Uh, in other words, you're worried enough about this that you're probably not going to post something that's going to really embarrass you later, I would guess. Um, the second thing is we live in this sort of strange time. A reality star is the president. And people who would not otherwise post about things that are highly charged, like politics, are doing that in record numbers, in part because many of us feel as if we can no longer stand on the sidelines and just kind of be funny for a living. 
I even follow some like librarians on Twitter, the types of people who you wouldn't necessarily from the word go expect to be wildly outspoken. I'm also following children's book authors and teachers and people who work in elementary schools. Besides the sort of standard disclaimer in the Twitter bio that says that retweets or statements do not reflect my employer, every one of them feels more outspoken than ever in an era when we need as many people speaking as possible. It feels to me like the two people you quote, Ellen DeGeneres, one of my favorites, and Dolly Parton, another favorite, are great, great examples of people and Americans and women who have at times dealt with extraordinarily complex issues, talked about, sung about being gay, being mistreated, not being paid as much as male counterparts. So perhaps the two things you can think about are what would Ellen say and what would Dolly sing? And if those are the two questions you ask yourself before you click post or send or tweet, then it's hard for me to imagine you'll become homeless due to uh, an expression expressed. And with that said, the caveat is I don't exactly know what your career is and I don't exactly know what your ambitions are. I just know that if you're asking the question and you feel an itch to express yourself in some way that feels uniquely you, then you've got to do it or else you will remain so itchy that you will eventually resent that amazing job where you feel appreciated. Take a leap, ask yourself what Ellen or Dolly would do, and then sing your own song. Yeah, um, what would Dolly sing? I think that's a great question and would make an amazing t-shirt. If you're looking to read more from Tim and you have a young adult in your life, I highly recommend the Better Nate Than Ever series. And if you're a fully grown adult, oh my gosh, he's got the best cocktail books. There is Tequila Mockingbird, Hickory Daiquiri Dock, and Gone with the Gin. Pick your favorite and live your dream. So, do you have a story? I do, I do. It's um, it's from when I left YouTube and before I went to work at Masterclass. I had about six months there where I was working for someone who didn't treat me very well. He didn't treat anyone that worked for him very well. He gave me a bit of an ultimatum. He said, do this different role that I want you to do, which was not be a designer, or leave. And so I said, okay, I'll leave. On my way out, that CEO said to me, I'm going to be really honest with you. There's people on the team that don't think you should be a designer, Mm. which to me was so jarring. It was almost this final stab. Here I am. I've already said I'm out the door. I'm going, I don't want to do what you want me to do. I don't want to change my role and not be a designer. And the kind of final stab you give me is is said very earnestly too, of almost like, I must, I must tell you the truth. You're not supposed to be a designer. How cruel. It was so hurtful to me. It was so upsetting to me that here I am, someone who was eight years into my career and had done these things I was very proud of in the design world. I'd studied design for four years before that. With just one sentence, it felt like he could take that all away from me, that he could say this thing that just deflated me fully. And I I was so distraught. But I spent a lot of hard time thinking about it. And I set out to prove him wrong because, you know what, even if he was right, even if I wasn't supposed to be a designer, even if I was a horrible, horrible designer, there are so many things out there that could use a horrible designer more than they could use no designer. (laughs) (laughs) Ultimately, what helped me get over that was me saying, okay, you know what, I'm going to prove him wrong. That's why I set out to design Masterclass, to design everything from the logo to the site. And that was with the the two co-founders, but, you know, being the only designer there and building that from scratch and then putting it out to the world. I don't need to say anything to him because me living my best life is revenge enough for me. You know, like you, it says you can't tear me down. Yeah. You made me missed up for a while and I'm an emotional person. So you hurt my feelings deeply when you said that, but you don't, you don't know me and you can't own my profession. Good for you. 
Good for you. Do you think he was intimidated by you? No, never. I don't think I've ever intimidated anyone. Hmm. I'm just kidding. Yeah, you probably. <laughs> well, you used to say that as a young young person. I don't think I could have verbalized this when I was a teenager. But when you would tell me, "Oh, that you know that boy is intimidated by you. Your teacher's intimidated by you," I think if you believe that, then you're off the hook to interact with them on the same level. I see. You know, and if you... they come to the table intimidated, that's their shit to deal with. I think I didn't do my best work for him because I didn't really like. The work environment, I don't think I showcased beautiful designs while I was working that job. And that was something that looking back, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I do need to be in like a happy, thriving environment to do good work. Well, I think that means you're an integrated, coherent person. We might think we can separate, but we can't separate our, our mind from our body, from our soul, from our intellect. So it's all one one integrated piece, whether we acknowledge it or not. Yeah, you take your work home with you because you take your head home with you. Yeah. If it's difficult when you go to work, try to remember this too shall pass. If you can take a very proactive role, get yourself into a better situation, work toward that. And um, if you happen to be in a job that you really enjoy, wow, great. I'm so happy for you. So thanks so much for listening to our episode about workplace woes. Next month, we'll have an episode about breakups. It's not too late to send in your questions, people. Coming up after that, an epic episode about creative pursuits. We're really interested to hear what you think. If you got a few minutes, go to advicefrom.mom feedback. But if you really like it, don't tell me. Tell a friend. Advice from Mom is a production of Wise Ones Advice Services. It's produced and edited by me, RGB. Sound engineering by Brian Patrick Garza. Publicity by Jane Riccobono. Ricca Riccobono! The theme music is by Love Jerks. Love Jerks album update from another part of this house. If I wasn't playing music behind me, you would hear the music being played underneath me. And you know what? There's a song about pheromones. So you can ask yourself the old chicken or egg question, which came first, the song or the podcast? I also, I don't know if you noticed, I used some sounds from freesound.org. It was really fun. Big thanks to our guests on this episode, Sadia Harper, Julie Moro Blanco, Trey Laughlin, Kelly Dragovich, and Tim Federley. For the input, encouragement, and introductions I got from... Natalie, Aviva, Serena, Hadley, Rick, Jocelyn, Ash, Mbot, Allie, Ginny, Jane, and Emily all the way up in Alaska who is currently fighting disease outbreaks like a boss. If you like the way this episode started out, thank my husband. He pushed me, pushed me in a good way. See, for breakfast this morning, I had pizza with uh, a walrus on top and uh, three goose eggs. And uh, it was followed with a glass of brandy and four cigars. <laughs>